Chapters thirty seven and thirty eight of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty seven in Rockland. The warm, bright November day was wearing to its close. The purple haze of the Indian summer lay around the hilltops, and the soft golden sunlight fell softly upon the grass and the few autumnal flowers which had escaped the recent storm the grounds around the mather mansion were looking almost as beautiful as in the early summer for the grass invigorated by the rain was fresh and green again and the brilliant foliage of the trees which dotted the lawn made up for the loss of the flowers even these last were not lacking indoors for the hothouse had been robbed of its costliest flowers which filled the whole house with perfume and made maude de vere start with surprise when she first entered the parlours it takes me back to my southern home she said to rose who standing on tiptoe fastened a half-open lily in her hair going into ecstasies over the effect and thinking to herself that maude de vere was the most regal creature she had ever seen maude had been in rockland three weeks and rose was already as much in love with her as if she had known her all her life at first she had dreaded a little to meet the fearless heroine of the mountains a girl who had held a revolver at the heads of both federal and confederate who in the night had ridden twenty miles on horseback to conduct a party of refugees to a place of safety and had guarded the entrance of the cave in the face of a furious mob must be something very formidable or at least something unlike all rose's ideas of what a lady gently born should be and both rose and her mother had waited nervously for the arrival of one who they felt sure was to be the wife of tom nothing definite had been said upon the subject since arthur died but it was tacitly understood by all parties that maude de vere was sometime to be maude carleton and tom was allowed to pay her attentions which could only be paid to his fiancée in a great flutter of spirits rose had heard of maude's arrival at the monter house and immediately after dinner had driven down to see her accompanied by will who if possible was more anxious than herself to pay his respects to maude she was kneeling by charlie's couch when the party entered but she rose at once and came forward with the most beautiful carnation staining her cheeks and a look of modesty in her brilliant eyes she wore a long trailing dress of heavy silk and stood so erect and held her head so high that she seemed taller than she really was taller than tom rose feared but as he stepped up to her she saw he had the advantage of her by at least four inches and thus reassured she drew a long breath of relief then as thoughts of all her husband and brother had been saved from by this heroic girl came over her she sprang toward maude and winding her arms around her neck sobbed hysterically but never spoke one word what is it what are you crying for maude asked petting her as if she had been a little child oh i don't know the sight of you who have done so much for the war and been so brave makes me seem so little so small so mean beside you maude de vere rose replied brokenly and then maude's eyes filled with tears and she hugged the sobbing little creature whom from that moment she loved so fondly she too had dreaded this meeting for she knew that rose mather and her mother were both women of the highest culture and she felt that they might criticize and perhaps condemn one who had lived so long among the pines of north carolina and the mountains of tennessee but rose's manner divested her of all fear and in a moment she resumed that unconscious air of superiority to all else around her which was part of herself queenly was the word which best suited her looks and her manners and rose paid homage to her as to a queen and told her that she loved her and how much she had thought of her 
and how anxious her mother was to see her and how happy they would all be when jimmy and annie came home there had been daily visits to the monteur since then and mrs carleton had met the beautiful maud and mentally approved of tom's choice charlie too had been petted and caressed and his blue eyes opened with wonder as he saw what northern women were like and remembered his prejudice against them he liked the northerners he said but he was loyal to the southern cause and listened with flashing eyes and crimson cheeks to all he continually heard of the sure defeat and disgrace of the confederacy matters were in this wise when the day came on which annie was expected home with jimmy great preparations had been made for that arrival in rockland there was more than one prisoner who had been nursed by annie graham and her name was spoken with reverence and love by the veriest vagabond that walked the streets they had not made a demonstration in a long long time but they were going to make one now and the honours which poor george saw in fancy awarded to himself were to be given to his wife jimmy too whose terrible sufferings had excited so much commiseration was to have his share of consideration bill baker who had been home for a week and was as usual the most active spirit of all suggested that when they flung out the banner on which was inscribed honour and welcome to annie graham they should give three cheers for mr carleton too bein as he said that they are about as good as one prompt to the moment when it was due the train swept round the rockland curve and stopped at the depot where a large concourse of people was gathered they had not expected the widow sims and when her green veil and straw bonnet appeared on the platform the foremost of the group looked a little disappointed while the widow's face darkened as she saw the waiting multitude and guessed why they were there annie had appeared by this time and at sight of her the tongues were loosened and deafening shouts of welcome greeted her on every side the flag bearing her name was held aloft the cannon in the adjoining field sent forth its bellowing roar and the band struck up the sweet refrain of annie laurie while the voices of the andersonville prisoners who had been annie's charge sang the last line and for bonnie annie graham i would lay me down and die surely this was a coming home which annie had never looked for and with her face flushed with excitement and her eyes shining with tears she stood in the midst of the shouting throng gazing wonderingly from one to the other and realizing nothing clearly except the firm clasp upon her arm it was jimmy's hand and jimmy himself leaned upon her as the crowd coupled his name with hers and hurrahed for james carleton and annie graham and the widder sims i swan if it's fair to leave her out she did some tall nossin down to annapolis bill baker said and then the widow was cheered and she acknowledged the compliment with a grim smile and wondered when folks would quit makin fools of themselves and if susan wasn't up there somewhere in the jam of course she was twas like them rugglesses to go where the doins was and while she shook the hand of her neighbours she kept her eyes on the watch for susan and felt a little chagrined that she did not find her susan was at home in the neat little house which john had bought with his captain's wages so carefully saved the same house it was at which annie graham had looked with longing eyes in the commencement of the war and in the pleasant chamber which overlooked the town there was a little boy who had been in rockland only a week and whose existence was yet unknown to the widow they had purposely kept it from her so she had no suspicion that he was expected and the first genuine feeling of happiness she had known since isaac died she experienced when she was ushered into susan's room and the little red-faced thing was laid in her lap 
she had looked askance at the new house and neat furniture and the pretty curtains as so many proofs of them ruggleses extravagance but she was not proof against the white face which from the pillow smiled so kindly upon her and called her mother and she was guilty of kissing her daughter-in-law even before she saw the baby her first grandchild whom susan called isaac although she hated the name and had tacked on to it adolphus with the hope that the future would adjust the name into adolf or something more fanciful than the good plain bible isaac and while the widow kissed and wept over her grandson and felt herself growing young and soft and gentle again the crowd around the depot had dispersed a part going to their own homes and a part following the soldiers and band which escorted annie graham and jimmy carleton to the mather mansion where everything had been made so beautiful for them it was a pleasant coming home and a most ample compensation for all the weariness and privation which annie as hospital nurse had endured and she felt that far more was awarded to her than she deserved mr carleton was the one to be honoured she said and her soft blue eyes rested upon the pale tired man who exhausted with his journey and the excitement lay down at once upon the sofa while his mother and rose knelt beside him and kissed and pitied and cried over his poor white face and long bony hands which were almost transparent in their whiteness maud was not one of the party at the mather mansion that night you ought to be alone the first night she said when rose insisted that she should join them to-morrow i will come round and call on mrs graham and your brother she had been greatly interested in all the arrangements and was curious to see the woman who had almost been her rival while annie was quite as curious to see her the heroine of the mountains in her letters to annie rose had purposely refrained from mentioning tom's name with maud's so that annie was ignorant of the real state of things but she did not remain so long is she so very beautiful she said to rose when after supper they were all assembled in the parlour and maud was the subject of conversation ask tom he can tell you rose replied and by the conscious look on tom's face annie guessed the truth at once that night when the two brothers were alone in their room tom said to jimmy well my boy i've kept my word i've waited a year and more i've given you every chance a reasonable man could ask have you made a proper use of your privileges would it do me any good to try and win annie now you can try if you like jimmy said with a smile and then tom told him of his hopes concerning maud de vere and jimmy said to him saucily don't you remember i told you once you had had your day but some lucky dogs have too and you it seems are one of them thirty eight the lovers the next day brought maud de vere looking so handsome in her black dress with her coquettish drab hat and long drab feather tipped with scarlet that she reminded annie of some bright tropical flower as she came into the room with the sparkle in her brilliant eyes and the deep rich bloom upon her cheek she had regained her health and spirits rapidly within the last few weeks and even jimmy who seldom saw beyond annie's fair face and soft blue eyes drew a breath of wonder at the queenly girl who completely overshadowed those around her so far as size and form and physical development were concerned but nothing could detract from the calm quiet dignity of annie's manner or from the pure angelic beauty of her face and as the two stood holding each other's hands and looking into each other's eyes they made a most striking tableau and mrs carleton thought with a thrill of pride how well her sons had chosen that night as maud was walking back to the hotel accompanied by tom he asked her again the question put in the cave of the cumberland 
i understand about arthur he said but he is dead there is no promise now in the way i claim you for my own am i wrong in doing so that maud's reply was wholly satisfactory was proved by the expression of tom carleton's face when at last he stopped at the door of the hotel and by the kiss which burned on maud's lips long after he had disappeared down the street the next afternoon while tom was with maud and both mrs carleton and rose were out on a shopping expedition annie sat alone with jimmy in the pleasant little room which had been given to him as a place where he would be more quiet than in the parlour annie had been playing with rose's boy the little jimmy a handsome sturdy fellow of nearly a year old whom the entire household spoiled he was already beginning to talk and having taken a fancy to annie he tried to call her name and made out of it a tolerably distinct ante which brought a blush to annie's face and a teasing smile to jimmy's come sit by me a moment annie jimmy said when the child had been taken out by his nurse sit on this stool so a little nearer to me there that's right he continued in the tone of authority he had unconsciously acquired since his convalescence he was lying upon the couch and annie was sitting at his side and so near to him that his long fingers could smooth and caress her shining hair while his saucy eyes feasted themselves upon her face as he asked when she really would be the auntie of the little boy who called her by that name not till you are able to stand alone was annie's reply and then for the first time since his return from andersonville jimmy spoke of that episode in his life at new london when little lulu howard had stirred his boyish blood and filled his boyish fancy perhaps he wanted to tease annie for he said to her i did like that little blue-eyed lou that's a fact i used to think about her all day and dream about her all night i wonder where she is now what would you do if you knew annie asked and jimmy replied i believe i would go miles to see her just to know what kind of a woman she has developed into i trust she is not like her aunt i could not endure her she struck me as a hard selfish ambitious woman terribly afraid lest the world generally should not think mrs scott belknap all which mrs scott belknap thought herself to be annie's cheeks were very red by this time and imputing her heightened colour to a cause widely different from the real one jimmy drew her face down to his and kissing the burning cheek said of course i should take you with me when i went after little lou you would hardly find her if you did not annie said while jimmy looked inquiringly at her annie had only been waiting for jimmy to speak of the little pequot before making her own confession and she now said to him abruptly did lulu look any like me why yes i've always thought so only she was younger and had short hair you know and short dresses too annie annie tell me was she do you are you jimmy began raising himself upright upon the couch as something in annie's expression began to puzzle and mystify him am i what annie asked am i little lulu of the pequot house my name was annie louise howard before i married george my aunt called me louise you never inquired my maiden name i believe i suppose you thought i had always been a married woman but i was a girl of fourteen once and went with my aunt belknap to london and met a boy who called himself dick lee and who was so kind to the orphan girl that she began to think of him all day and watch for his coming after his school hours he was a saucy teasing boy but lulu liked him 
and when one day she waited for his promised coming till it grew dark upon the beach and the great hotel was lighted up for the evening festivity and when other days and nights passed and he neither came nor sent her any word and she heard at last from one of his comrades that he had gone home to boston i say when all this came about she began to think that she had loved the boy who deceived her so for he did deceive her in more points than one as she afterward learned his name was not dick lee but annie jimmy began and annie stopped him saying wait jimmy till i am through this is my hour now i have delayed telling you all this for various reasons your mother knew who i was before i went to washington and she excused you as far as was possible that i have promised to be your wife is proof that i have forgiven the pangs of disappointment i endured for jimmy i did suffer for a time there was so little in the world to make me happy and you had been so kind that i fully believed in and trusted you and when i found i was deceived my heart ached as hard perhaps as the heart of a girl of fourteen can ache from such a cause poor annie poor little lulu jimmy said as he clasped one of annie's hands in his own and his voice expressed all the sorrow and tenderness he felt for annie who continued such childish loves are usually short-lived you know but mine was the first pleasant dream i had known since my parents died and i went to my aunt belknap in new haven she meant to be kind i suppose and in a certain way she was she gave me a good education and every advantage within her means she took me to newport and saratoga and the new york hotels and she turned her back on george graham whom we met at long branch where he was making some repairs upon an engine a mechanic was not her idea of a husband for her niece she preferred that i should marry a man of sixty who had already the portraits of three wives in his handsome house at meriden but then for each portrait he counted over two hundred thousand dollars and a half a million covers a multitude of defects and a great many wives i would not marry that man and as the result of my persistent refusal my life with my aunt became so unbearable that when providence again threw george in my way and he asked me to be his wife i consented and i never regretted the step he was very kind to me and i loved him so much that when he died i thought my heart died too for he was my all annie was very beautiful in her excitement as she paid this tribute to her deceased husband and jimmy saw that she was beautiful but felt relieved when she left george graham and spoke of rose who had come to her like an angel of light and made the burden easier to bear i had no suspicion that she was the soi-disant dick lee's sister or that my boy hero was not dick lee until just before you came home for the first time and then i thought i must go away for i did not care to meet you but rose prevented me and i am glad now that she did and i am glad too jimmy said your staying has been the means of untold good to me darling it was the memory of your sweet holy life and character which led me a wretch at andersonville to seek the saviour whom you have loved so long god has led us both in strange paths we have suffered a great deal you mentally i physically and only what i deserved but let us hope that the night is past and the morning of our happy future dawning upon us we are both young yet you twenty-three and i only twenty-six we have a long life to look forward to and i thank god for it but most of all i thank him for giving me my darling annie my dear little lulu does rose know that you are lulu 
mrs carlton had thought it better not to add to rose's excitement by telling her who annie was while jimmy's fate was shrouded in so much gloom then after his return she decided that annie should have the satisfaction of telling herself and thus rose was still in ignorance with regard to annie's identity with the pequot but annie told her that night and rose's eyes were like stars as she smothered annie with kisses and declared it was all like some strange story she had read End of chapters 37 and 38